when Geoffrey of Monmouth wrote A History of the Kings of Britain in 1138, he could have hardly guessed that his creation would become as famous as it is today. In his history, Geoffrey introduced King Arthur and began his tale, which has been picked up by many different authors over the years and expanded upon. These other authors have added important pieces to Arthurian lore, like the Round Table, the love affair between Guinevere and Lancelot, and even the famous quest for the Holy Grail. Even beyond that, Geoffrey of Monmouth would have never envisioned what the future would bring, with its boon of technology that would move Arthur from the pages of his book to the silver screen and beyond. Today we're going to learn all about Arthurian legend and talk about its various depictions in video games throughout history. So get ready, try and pull the sword out of the stone, and join us for another trip down memory card lane. afternoon and good evening i hope these words find you well hello and welcome to the 140th episode of our video game history podcast a trip down memory card lane each week we will tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history it can be about a game console a person and so on and so forth while doing so we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about King Arthur, his Knights of the Round Table, the quest for the Holy Grail, and then we'll look at depictions of Arthurian legend in video games throughout history. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host. He's the Lancelot on our round table. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how goes the quest? For the Holy Grail. Well, I finished that quest a long time ago, Dave. <laughs> I knew it. I just knew you were going to say that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, all right. Before we get into it, what are we playing? What video games have we played this week? Well, Dave, this week saw some Rocket League, some RuneScape, some MechWarrior 5. Nice. I think that's about it. So... Yeah, how about yourself? Didn't, didn't we Wait. play Ark? We played Ark. Oh, yeah, and Ark. Yeah, I forgot about that's, that one. Because that's the only thing I've played video game-wise in the last week was that day we spent on Ark. So, well, Ark, damn. That's it. Yep. Look at you I, go. But hey, oh, I, it's a busy yeah. week. It's a bit, well, it's been a busy two or three weeks. I haven't had a lot of time for video games lately, other than, you know, this. So here we go. Well, have here you, we go. Have you had to study King Arthur much in school? I wouldn't say much. Uh, I'm sure there was a lesson or two, but um, not not much that I didn't have a class or anything on it. Would you say you've learned much about King Arthur? Probably everything you know about King Arthur, you know from RuneScape. <laughs> um, I mean, Monty Python. Oh, that's actually a really good point. So, you know, I mean, I've seen some things, but, yeah, you know, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a King Arthur history buff. Like, you know, I'm sure you are over here, Mr. History Guy. No, no, no. But also, yes. Um, You know, King Arthur is very much part of the uh, medieval liter literary tradition. And for the longest time, I wanted to be a medievalist, which is essentially someone who is a scholar of all things medieval. Um, in fact, I think that if I had ever went back to school for graduate studies, that's probably where I would have leaned to because I always enjoyed medieval literature more than a lot of others. Um, it's just so cool. Like when you study medieval literature you kind of get to see that time and you get to learn about you know these medieval figures you get to learn about the history of medieval times which is who doesn't like sh knights and chivalry and castles and trebuchets i mean come on rob trebuchets a textbook trebuchet dave not to be confused with a catapult <laughs> and then like even even more cool is like and 
a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today was written in old languages. You know, when you study medieval literature, you spend a lot of time studying them in their original languages, which brings you like it, it, it's a different understanding. So, you know, a lot of King Arthur's literature was written in Middle English and Old French, frankly, is where the basis of it comes you know, the, the the story of the Holy Grail itself, and we'll get into this, is actually, like, it derives from an old French poem. Uh, and that's just, it's just cool to see that, because when you study that, like, you study the languages, too. You know, I actually had to, had to take an English course where we studied old, middle, and modern English and how the language changed. So you get to learn about how vowels shift and consonants shift and why we still have like the K on nights when it was connect, you know, back then and crap like that. And it's just, it, I always really liked medieval literature and we can talk about it today. Yay. Yay. Let's do it. Dave. You, have you ever played any other than RuneScape, any King Arthur video games? I cannot say that I have. No. Yeah. You probably tripped on a few of the, the things we'll look at today. So, I mean, I'm sure I've seen them or heard them, but you know, I, I really don't know of playing anything other than the runescape. True statement. So King Arthur is what we know to be, or what we kind of call one of the legendary Kings of Britain. He is the central figure. I'd say the central figure there are others, but I'd call him the most important one personally in medieval literary tradition. So medieval literary tradition has what we call three story cycles, Western story cycles, rather, that, that most medieval literature from this time is based on. So you have the Matter of Rome, which includes everything from classical mythology. You have the Matter of France. Uh, Charlemagne is the central figure of... Uh, all of the matter of France. And then King Arthur here is central to what we call the matter of Britain. And before we get into the matter of Britain and the literature of which King Arthur is central to, let's talk about his historical accuracy. So first of all, right off the bat, I will tell you that there is no actual King Arthur. He did not. He, he did not exist. There are pieces of historical literature that allude to a figure that could be King Arthur, but there's nothing definitive enough for us to actually say, yes, he existed. It is all theory. Uh, you know, there are kings in the right area, in the right place, in the right time, but there is literally nothing that says King Arthur was real. I was here. And for that reason, it's generally believed that he is completely and utterly a fictional character that is likely, uh, you know, was likely inspired by one or more actual historical British uh, figures, early kings or what have you. Uh, he is, for all purposes, a character in a book. Well, books, plural. Most of what we believe King Arthur to be in Arthurian legend is thanks to a cleric named Geoffrey of Monmouth, who lived between 1095 and 1155 uh, Common Era CE. And he is best known for a book called The uh, History of the Kings of Britain, which basically its claim to fame is it has the earliest cohesive developed narrative of king arthur it is for all purposes the book that has written king arthur into what we know arthurian legend to be today now uh the historia britannae is divided between 12 books and the story of king arthur is pretty much told from book number seven through book number 12 book number seven is what we call the prophecies of merlin and that is, as it sounds, it's a bunch of prophecies from the great magician Merlin. And it is very much alludes to what we believe are actual historical events of the time, mixed in with a lot of all this high fantasy stuff that we know of Arthur today. 
Uh, book eight is very much the story of Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon, and Arthur's story himself is all the remaining books. So, like in book eight, Britain's under war, Aurelius, Ambrosius, and his brother Uther are basically assisted by Merlin in taking over. Ambrose it becomes ill, Uther leads the army, Basically, then an enemy assassin comes in, poses as a physician, and poisons Ambrosius. The king dies. There's a comet in the sky that takes the form of a dragon's head. That's a pen dragon. And so Merlin interprets this as a sign that the king is dead. So Uther is now victorious and secedes him. And with that symbol, he adds the name Pendragon to his name. And Uther Pendragon becomes the king of Britain. So fun with poison and everything then uther has to is under war again basically he gets help from the duke of cornwall and while he's celebrating this victory with the duke of cornwall he falls in love with the duke's wife that leads to a war between uther and the the duke of cornwall and basically uh merlin helps uther and the duke's wife hook up basically undercover nice that's when arthur's conceived (laughs) so very nice the duke of cornwall gets murdered and then uther marries uh his wife and then war happens again uther triumphs over the saxons this is a saxon war and then basically he goes to drink water from a spring only to find that the saxons had poisoned the spring water and uther dies (laughs) And that brings us to Arthur, because when Uther dies, his son Arthur assumes the throne and he obliterates the Saxons because they killed his father and he doesn't want to have to worry about them. So he literally just absolutely obliterates the Saxons, makes sure that they can't come back, salts the earth, all the the meanest, nastiest stuff you could think of. Arthur then conquers most of Northern Europe and he ushers in a, a, a great period of peace and prosperity that basically lasts until the Romans come back and say, we, we want you to, to pay tribute to Rome again. Arthur then goes to fight Lucius in France, Gaul, uh, intending to become emperor. But as he's gone, as he's gone, he gets betrayed by Mordred. Mordred seduces and marries Guinevere, seizes the throne. This is, this is all the stuff in Arthurian legend. You know Arthurian legend, don't you? Uh, not quite this in depth, no. No, no. Have you ever heard of Mordred? Mordred's in RuneScape, isn't he? Isn't he in that quest? No, Morgana is in the quest, yes, isn't Morgana, she? Uh, well, it's Morgan Le Fay. Morgan, thank you. Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, basically, Arthur is angry, so he returns and he kills Mordred. He is basically mortally wounded in the battle. And then they carry his body off to the Isle of Avalon. And um, and then the kingdom goes to Constantine. And, and that's pretty much the way the story goes. That's 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 real Athorian legend right there. Uther Pendragon, Merlin helping him hook up with uh, um, Agurna, um And then Arthur becoming king and then having the the this is the basic stuff, right? Uther Pendragon fights gets poisoned mordred seduces guinevere and seizes the throne from arthur arthur and mordred have a a, a freaking battle royale they both basically get killed as part of the witch call it and arthur ends up on the isle of avalon is where his body basically is most of what we know what we associate with arthurian legend i know not all of probably little of that <laughs> is found in a lot of stuff so i guess Rob, real quick, would you say that most of what you know about a theory legend is Monty Python? Um, I don't know that I would necessarily say that. I feel that I that the, a lot of what I know is just from different forms of media, like to the round table, the Excalibur, all the fun stuff. Because I, I would say that, like, if I think back, my introduction to a theory legend would have been the Disney cartoon Sword in the Stone. And that's definitely one that I have seen as well. Uh, and that's 
that's kind of the probably where I started because obviously growing up watching Disney all the time and still to this day. And then as I got older, I started seeing more and more about it in games or in movies like Monty Python or I'm sure, like I said, I had to have learned some of it in school at some point. Um, but I'd, I'd say Sword in the Stone is where it started. This history, Britain history book from uh, from Jeffrey the Cleric is pretty much where we get most of the basis of a Therian legend, including Uther Pendragon, Merlin, Guinevere, Excalibur is found in this book too, the, the sword. Like I said, the final battle against Mordred and Arthur's final rest in Avalon, which is a fictional island, by the way. Um, but as you'll notice, Rob, we're missing a very big chunk of Arthurian legend, are we not? Uh, I would say so, yeah. And that would be what we got from Monty Python, I would argue. Is that a fair statement? I mean, I don't know if that's what we got got from it, but it's it's definitely a source of it. I'm I sure. mean, it's literally Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I mean, there was more than one. <laughs> but, but you know, and I'm going to go back to you because you're a huge RuneScape fan. We've covered RuneScape before. Uh, RuneScape has a, quite a bit of Arthurian legend into in it, doesn't it? I would say so, yeah. And in, in RuneScape, like what 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 part of Arthurian legend is in runescape the quest for the holy grail yeah absolutely and it's pretty accurate i mean you have to go meet the fisher king right yep and you find the holy grail and you bring it back to camelot i mean some of the knights of the round are in there who which night i'm trying to remember you you meet knights of the round don't you you definitely asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Percival, Lancelot. The, I'm trying to remember all the ones that are in there. I mean, um, I know there's more, but I know at the very least, like when you're trying to go up against Morgan Le Fay, Merlin's in there uh, for sure. Sir Mordred is actually the son yeah. of, or the daughter. Yeah, yeah, the son of. Um, it's the son. Yeah. Le Fay. Yeah. Yep, 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 um, yep, yep. Yeah, I can't remember exactly which ones were in there. I was trying to find out, but I know that some of the Knights of the Round are in there. Yeah, they're definitely in there. The The quest for the Holy Grail did, definitely did not come from the history of the Kings of Britain. Did not come from this book. Rather, we have a French poet. Uh, man, what is it? Charitine de Troyes? I'm going to butcher that name. I'm sorry. I meant to look it up. I did not have time to. Uh, we have that French poet to thank for that little gem for the quest for the Holy Grail. De Troyes, maybe it's De Troyes. I don't know. He is responsible for many of what we know to be chivalric romances. Uh, the story of Lancelot, the story of Percival, they added to Arthurian legend on top of being a chival chivalric romance. His French poem, which like I said, was written in old French, uh, it's called Lancelot, the Knight of the Cart, and it tells all about the abduction of Queen Guinevere, and it's basically the book, or the poem, rather, where we get the love affair between Lancelot and Guinevere. And then, actually, the quest for the Holy Grail is uh, his last, basically, story, and it was unfinished, actually. And it's called Percival, the story of the Grail. And that's basically the earliest account of what we what we now know to be the, the quest for the Holy Grail. With Arthurian legend and with the Holy Grail, these are the basis of it. But through the years, other writers have taken these and either retold the same story slightly different or expanded upon it or changed it. And basically, like, we, you know, didn't, it's where we are now, you know. The Percival was written around 1190, but really it wasn't until like the late 12th century that the Grail was ever portrayed as Jesus's vessel from the Last Supper. That was a later, you know, addition to the to the Arthurian legend. And that's kind of what we know it as today, right? The 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 Grail is what they used to capture Christ's blood at his crucifixion, but that wasn't what it was in the beginning at all kind of interesting if you think about it that indeed that it is dave and uh doing some research 
Uh, it does seem that they have many, if not all, of the knights because there's Kay, Bedivere, Pallias, Tristram, Palemides, Lucan, Gawain, Lancelot, Percival, Galahad, and Mordred. So they they cover their bases. They covered the bases. When they designed Camelot and they put in the game, they made sure it was Camelot, Camelot, huh? Oh, yes, yes. They, uh, they definitely did. And the story of Percival has some of the other knights that we know um you know it, it it also has arthur's nephew sir gawain and sir gawain of course is made famous by the middle english poem sir gawain and the green knight which i believe actually i don't believe i know they made it into a, a really visually stunning movie in the middle of uh as we came out of lockdown i think it was 2020 or 2021 they released it um you ever had to study sir gawain and the green knight well, I thought it was pronounced Gawain, so obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. I, uh, no, but I, to be fair, I've never. That is not one that I was familiar with. Do you know how many seats there actually are at the round table? Isn't it nine? No. No? Well, I mean, ten, rather. But that's not the case. Well... And I'm only telling you this because it's one of the really interesting things about this concept. So, of course, the Knights of the Round Table are basically, it's a legendary fellowship of King Arthur that started, you know, with with all this. All members of the Round Table are equal to one another. You could be a sovereign royal, you could be a minor noble, and you're all the same stance in there. Um, and so they're knights from all over course you're you're thinking there's nine because you know the famous ones but it was a fellowship and depending on the literature that you read about the knights of the round table you may only find that there's a dozen in one piece of literature there's another one that claims that there were 1600 seats at the round table wow yeah 12 13 14 that was pretty common 50 comes up a bunch of times 60 uh but no joke. I mean, there's a piece of literature that says uh, that that says there's 1600. But I think most commonly the you know you'll see between 100 and 300 at the table. Most of which were empty though. So huge, huge, I, I, huge. That, that's still a big ass round table, man. It's a big ass round table. <laughs> it's a big ass round table. And I mean, you'd never know most of them. There are like. Aglavale, Bedivere. I mean, who's heard of Cador? Elian the White, Gatheris. We know Galahad, bastard son of Lancelot. <laughs> oh, he comes up in the Holy Grail. Hector de Maris. That's a good one. K. I think K's in there somewhere. Lionel. Man, Lionel is such a fascinating Knights of the Round Table <laughs> name. And then there's Yvain and Yvain the Bastard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, those are the good ones. And then you have the whole list of like uh, ones that that don't like that don't mean anything, like Sir Ascamore and Sir Marin Duke and Sir Melian of the Mountain, <laughs> Sir Reynold. That sounds interesting, doesn't it, Sir Reynold? First name Ryan. Sir Fergus. Yes. Sir Lambigus. Hermenide. God, man. These are all interesting. Anyway, Knights of the Round Table. Lots of stuff. And so, yeah. So that's probably a lot more about Arthurian legend that you ever wanted to know. That you ever wanted to know. But let's talk about the video game aspect of it. Because that's why we're all here today. Yeah, Dave, so tell us about them, their video games. So the inspiration for today's topic would be the very first game that Enix, now, you know, half of Square Enix. Uh, so the very first game that they ever published that was actually developed by an American company. Now, this game was based on an animated series that lasted two seasons in syndication on TV and also finds itself pretty much at the top of multiple lists of the most ridiculous adaptions of a Thurian legend. 
Now, the game came out for the Super Nintendo in May 1995, and it's called King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. Are you ready for the premise? Let's hear it, Dave. Are you ready for the most ridiculous adaption of Arthurian legend? Um, I, I don't know. You might be selling it too much. Oh, it's ridiculous. So, Morgana, evil Morgana, imprisons King Arthur. So Merlin uses a crystal ball, and he locates a brave team of warriors in the future, led by Arthur King, that call themselves the Knights. And he summons them back into time. Only to find that they're an American football team. Okay. Okay. All right. Sounds good so far. So Merlin interprets their name as a sign of fate. And he asks the lady of the table to transfer them into the Knights of Justice. And that's the premise for our King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. <laughs> so the video game is basically a Legend of Zelda inspired game, a.k.a. knockoff where these knights have to go and collect the 12 keys of truth around the land. They have to uh, retrieve Excalibur as part of the collecting the keys, find Morgana, defeat Morgana, and save King Arthur. Now, one little interesting side note about this game the American company that made it was called Manly and Associates. They were a small, independent video game developer founded by Ivan Manley, which really just was him and one other person working out of his house. But they grew. They started out working on what's called the design and implementation of games. They worked on Home Alone for DOS. They worked on Are We There Yet for DOS. They helped make The Wizard of Oz for SNES and, of course, here we are talking about one of their other games, King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. But as they kept working on these games, the team grew uh, at one point, becoming a crew of 60 people. And somewhere at that point, they were bought out by EA, upon which time they were renamed to EA Seattle, which is actually the team that developed the first six titles in the Need for Speed series. So there you go. We actually talked about EA Seattle when we did our Motor City Online episode because that's one of those six titles. Uh, they developed Motor City Online, which we've talked about in a previous episode. We we somehow got from a, a really interesting SNES game to Need for Speed. Yay! Yay! Uh, a lot of those movies that you mentioned, too, the movie games, I, I actually didn't know those were games. There you go. Yeah, I hadn't heard a single one of them. Anyway, this bad. Th this was not. This is not a great example of what they can do. This was a very bad game. Got really poor reviews. Most of them were like two or three out of ten. And to top it off, it was released uh, during the same time as Chrono Trigger. So it was destined to fail. It was. It was destined to fail. Yes. Yes. Absolutely destined to fail. There was little to no shot that King Arthur. And the Knights of Justice were going to be successful. I mean, the fact that they turned them into knights, if he had just kept them football players and that's what you had to play as, I'm sure it would have done much better. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it only lasted two seasons as a cartoon, so I don't know. I'm saying they could have had a lot more seasons as a football team doing it. Probably. And then had the Detroit Lions guests. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You know what? The Lions the Lions were not good, but the Lions were also um, different then because that's when Barry Sanders was playing. I think roughly he was would have still been playing then. Um, so yeah, so Lions probably would have been halfway decent back then. Um, not that they were winning. We know that they're as Lions, lifetime Lions fans that they never win. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, there was, however... Uh, another SNES game that depicted Arthurian legend that fared much, much better. It, too, was inspired by The Legend of Zelda. And in fact, N-Force magazine gave it a review score of 92%. And in their review, they literally called it the next Zelda. Of course, it never yeah. became that because we don't know this game or series or anything. The game was released in March of 1994. It was developed by none other than Westwood Studios, who eventually made Command & Conquer, 
and we've covered their history in a previous episode. And that game is called Young Merlin. And basically, it followed Merlin as he enlisted the help of the Lady of the Lake to defeat the evil Shadow King. I remember young. I remember ads for Young Merlin. It was kind of everywhere back here in the mid '90s, um, and obviously for reason. It was. I mean, it, it was a good game. It rated very well. But you never played it. You know what? I don't remember ever playing it. No, I was thinking about that. Did I ever rent it from the the uh, the video store or anything like that? I don't ever remember playing Young Merlin at all. I remember ads for it. I remember reading like magazine articles about like how to beat this part or reviews or stuff like that. Like I can see in my head uh, the game like picture wise on a magazine, but I don't think I've ever played it. No, or know anyone who played it. So which is probably for whatever reason why we don't know it and it never became the next Zelda. <laughs> so I'm just shocked that it got such great reviews and you know, it's not. I don't know. You just yeah. never know. Fair enough. I didn't think much about that. I wonder where it released alongside like actual Link to the Past, probably in the same ballpark. Now, before we stray too far away from the topic of animated TV series in this category, I want to take a moment and talk about Blazing Dragons. Now, Blazing Dragons was an animated series that ran for two seasons. It was 1996 97 90 through 98 rather uh it was it played on toon disney here in the united states and basically it's a series about dragons anthropomorphic dragons so dragons who are made to be like people and they're attacked by evil humans so in it king all fire and his knights of the square table uh fight against the evil count jeffrey so this was more of a parody on king arthur than an accurate retelling of a Thorian legend. Uh, but the point is, is that it too had a video game. This was a point and click adventure game. It was released for Sony PlayStation, the first PlayStation and Sega Saturn in November of 1996. It rates very well. It's writing and humor are very heavily influenced by Monty Python, throwing it back to your Monty Python reference, Rob. In fact, one of the members of Monty Python, Terry Jones, is a voice actor in the game. But he is hardly the only one. So Cheech Marin is also a voice in the game. <laughs> Henry Scherer, who voices a ton of Simpsons characters, Mr. Burns, Smithers, yep. Skinner, Ned Flanders... He's a voice in the game. Jim Cummings, the voice of Winnie the Pooh, is in the game. The voice actors who are Dexter's parents in Dexter's Laboratory, both of those voice actors are in this game. Uh, people who voice the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are in the game. People who voice various Transformers are in the game. It is like literally a, a who's who of voice actors for the time. I mean, it's weird. I don't know anything about it. Probably because it was a point-and-click adventure released on the PlayStation and Sega Saturn. That just seems like it was doomed, you know? Because point-and-click games did not do good on consoles. Um, no, they don't translate as very as well. But that is quite the damn list. I mean, I yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I was. I mean, I I I mean, I looked it up. It yeah, it's interesting. It, it's worth, in my opinion, it's something now I might watch. A playthrough of um they're not kidding if you like monty python you'll very much like it it's got that same dry humor um dry absurdist humor i guess is the best way to describe it um yeah but it is a lot of voice i mean that's that's not even like the whole list there's just a ton of voice actors um i just picked out a few so there were other adventure games uh, that are set in this time period for Arthurian Legend. You know, we did an episode on Sierra Online, the, what was it, Roberta Williams, the, their company, uh, they, King's Quest, that's the episode. We, we covered Sierra Online and King's Quest, and we covered her. Sierra Online published a DOS game. In January of 1990, it was called Conquest of Camelot, The Search for the Grail. 
It's a very typical Sierra adventure game for its time. It's got action sequences. It's got puzzles to solve. It's got rizzles to solve. Um, and basically, like, the game starts at the decline of Camelot. You know, the decline happened because of the love triangle between Arthur, Guinevere, and Lancelot. It cursed the land, brought famine and drought to Camelot. After having a vision of the Holy Grail brought to him, Gawain, Lancelot, and Galahad go on the quest for the Holy Grail, and they don't return. So Arthur goes off to find his missing knights and to find the Grail. And what's cool about this game is because it shows, like, historically a very unique period. It shows, basically, Britain, kind of other Roman rule, but before Christianity gets it replaces the old religions so like in camelot there is a chapel dedicated to mithras uh for the soldiers of roman heritage just you know he's roman and then there is a chapel for jesus christ for the christian soldiers and you see this throughout the game where you can see the old religion and the new religion in a period where they both existed and i think that's really freaking cool it portrays aphrodite as a real god in the game but her powers and influence are in decline because christianity is becoming a thing so it's just a it's a really neat depiction of of a unique time period a fictional time period but a unique time period where these two of them you know so king arthur just isn't found in cartoons obviously we know from monty python it's in movies um but but there are more modern examples of that so in 2004 there's literally a movie called king arthur it had Clive Owen starring as King Arthur and Karen Knightley as Guinevere. Do you remember this one at all? I have not seen that, no. Yeah. It <laughs> doesn't sound very good by that reaction. No, nah, no, no. It barely follows any traditional legend. It takes the names and just uses a lot of artistic license with them. It was a Jerry Bruckheimer film. This was Jerry Bruckheimer's heyday. Big budget, big production. Uh, but it opened up against Spider-Man 2 in the first Anchorman movie. Oh, yeah. No, couldn't yeah. couldn't compete. Yeah. And on top of that, it got slammed by critics. It's Rotten Tomatoes rating is only 31 percent. Well, damn. Yeah, that's uh, sometimes those are really good movies, though, to be fair. You yeah. really got to give them a try. So it was made into a video game. Uh, it was developed by Chrome Studios. They're best known now for rebooting the Spyro series in the mid 2000s. Konami published the game. It's an action adventure game, and there's really nothing else to tell you about it because it rates just as well, if not worse, than the movie. So, um, but there are other games to try to do better with accuracy. You know, in November 2009, Paradox Interactive, uh, which we talked about recently, if you'll recall, they're like the the king daddy of strategy games. Uh, what did we? Who bought? What, what did we talk about Paradox? There was a company that got bought by Paradox that we were talking about recently. Uh, I did. Paradox sounds familiar, but I cannot remember what. I know, and it's bugging me because I remember it was towards the end of an episode. It was like the history of a studio, and it was the history of a studio, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, Paradox bought these guys out, and now they're helping make strategy games, and Blah, 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 blah. And I genuinely don't remember what it was. It wasn't StarCraft Mr. Battletech? Maybe it was the guys who made the Battletech um, or Lemmings. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Don't hold me to any of that. I don't have a great memory. Nor um, do Rob. Yeah, yeah. But Paradox is the king of strategy games. They, you know, Hearts of Iron and... Um, so many others you know paradox is is like the guy they made a strategy game they published a strategy game rather called king arthur the role-playing war game it's a mix of real-time strategy role-playing and grand strategy it has a big campaign which follows king arthur's conquest of britain battles are fought in real time units though can earn experience to raise attributes and then of course there are heroes with special abilities like the knights of the round they did make a sequel for it in 2012 it's called king arthur 2 the role-playing war game they're both found on steam they're like 10 bucks a piece or you can find a collection of both 
with all the DLC for like $25 or less. I think it was 22 and some change when I found it. Reviews are very mixed because of technical issues. The general consensus after I poured through reviews is if you can get it to work, it's a great game. Keeping if you can get it to work. Because all of the poor reviews are it crashes, it crashes, it crashes. I can't get past this part. Can't get it to start. So the people who can actually play it enjoy it, but it's played with technical issues that may prevent you from doing so. And actually, I have the first one, but it is on my list of games I have never, ever actually played whatsoever. So I can't tell you much about it. Um, I was bound to stumble across that list at one time. Hey, eh? Eh? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we have a big list. We, of, I mean, you probably have a bunch of games that um, you probably have a bunch of games you've never played. Thanks to Humble. I probably got that in a Humble Bundle, to be honest with you. So. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely have quite the long list of games to someday play. But yeah, we'll get to them someday, maybe. Who knows? There was a 1991 Capcom arcade cabinet called Knights of the Round. It is a action role-playing beat-em-up. So it's like Final Fight, a side-scrolling beat-em-up, but it has a level advancement system. Basically, Arthur, Lancelot, and Percival, they set out across Britain to defeat the evil king and bring Britain together. So that's a depiction somewhere. Have you ever read the the Japanese novel Fate Stay Night or heard of it? I've not. I, I feel like there's an anime, the Fate series. I don't know if it's related. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one that's on my list and the problem is pretty high on my list of the ones that I need to get to when I finish what I'm currently watching. So well, um, I know of it, but I don't know it. Uh, just just I just know it by name. I mean, so Japanese visual novel Fate Stay Night, also an adult erotic game for Windows. <laughs> oh, that might not be the same thing. It features a young female knight called Saber, whose true name is Artoria. She becomes king by pulling free the sword from the stone. But knowing that armies wouldn't follow a woman, she renames herself King Arthur and she uses Merlin's magic to hide her gender. So that's kind of interesting. I don't think that's the same thing I'm thinking of. Uh, you, I don't know. Maybe not. That's Someone interesting. Miss. Uh, well, I mean, maybe. I mean, I know there's more than one uh, Fate Stay. There's prequels and stuff like that. So it might be. But when I looked up the genre, it was how do you say it? Arome, E R O M E, Arome, Arome. Do you know how they say that one? Uh, no, I don't. I honestly don't. No idea yeah. what that is. Yeah, yeah. So I assume. I mean, I looked it up. It's an erotic game. Um, I I don't really know anything. Uh, there's a game called The Dark Age of Camelot, which is an MMORPG. Uh, they released it in October 2001. It's set in the period after King Arthur's death. And the kingdom has split into three realms that are constantly at war with one another. You have a little bit of Arthurian lore. It brings North mythology into the world and Irish Celtic legend. They all kind of come together in these three realms for the Dark Age of Camelot. Sonic and the Black Knight throws back to Arthurian legend. That's a 2009 Wii platforming game. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is saving the city Camelot from King Arthur. After King Arthur becomes corrupt and calls himself the Black Knight. And after defeating the Black Knight, Merlin's granddaughter, Merlina, <laughs> reveals Sonic to be basically King Arthur was a fake created by her grandfather. Uh, so if you beat the game, spoiler alert, Sonic is actually King Arthur himself. But he's also a hedgehog. Yes. But of course, those are games that are based on Arthurian legend. There are other depictions of King Arthur in video games. Rob and I spent some time talking about RuneScape. They actually have Camelot in RuneScape. As we said, all the Knights of the Round, you actually go on a quest for the Holy Grail where you meet the Fisher King. It's pretty accurate, actually, if you think about it. No, they, they definitely did their homework on that one. Yeah, yeah. They do a really good job. The depictions of Arthurian legend in RuneScape are great. Stronghold Legends is another game. It includes a campaign that is King Arthur's legend, Fight Across Britain for Britain. Two of the newer Tomb Raiders uh, are based on Arthurian legend. Tomb Raider legend, the plot literally revolves around all the mystery of King Arthur's legend. 
And then Underworld is her trying to find Avalon, uh, where she believes her Lara Croft believes her mother is. So you got two modern Tomb Raider games that use King Arthur's legend as the basis of their stories. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Final Fantasy VII. The most powerful summon in the game is Knights of the Round. Obviously inspired by the actual Knights of the Round table. Also probably why a lot of people think there's only 12 Knights of the Round table, to be fair. Soul Calibur has Arthur in it, right? He's a samurai, but he's there. I kind of like the notion of King Arthur as a samurai with a samurai sword. I think it's cool. Fire Emblem. What? I'm not I wrong. I don't remember that. No, I, I just don't remember that. I was trying to think of it, and I don't remember that. I thought we talked about him when we did the Soul Calibur episode. Uh, we, we might have, and I just don't remember. Soul Calibur characters. List of Soul Calibur characters. Well, it looks like Arthur was in certain countries that discouraged samurai imagery. Um, and was a replacement for Mitsurugi. There you go. Instead. Instead. Not replace. Instead. I had looked it up as a blend, or recalled it as a blend, but it was not. So, that Gotcha. Mitsurugi. Mitsurugi. Why can't I find fucking... Oh. Mitsurugi. Yep. Arthur... Arthur is a playable character introduced in the first Soul Calibur, where he replaced Mitsurugi in Korea due to local sensibilities regarding the subject of a samurai. He's an orphaned European who has become a swordsman in Japan. Okay, so I'm not completely wrong. My recollection of it was, like, from, from reading about it was weird. Uh, in his first appearance, he looks exactly like Mitsurugi, except he has blonde hair and an eye patch. His weapons, moveless, and, and his ending are all identical to Mitsurugi's. He returned as a bonus character in Soul Calibur 3. Um, yes. So, there you go. I wasn't completely wrong. He is in Soul Calibur. I did read that right. And he is a samurai. He is an orphan European who has become a swordsman in Japan. He's basically Arthur. He's, he's, he's a reskin Mitsurugi. So, ta-da! Woo! Ta-da. Yeah, I don't remember. I didn't recall that, but yeah, uh, nice. Fire Emblem. Well, we wouldn't have. We were not in Korea, and I mean, I don't think he's been in any others. To be fair, I don't see him. I don't see him in any others. I don't know if it doesn't say. It doesn't say that they brought him into later ones after three. So there's a good chance we've we've never seen him before. Uh, Fire Emblem has a bunch of characters from Arthurian legend. Rob, you like the Ice Ace Combat series, do you not? I do. The Ace Combat Zero, the Balkan War. The story is very heavily based on Arthurian legend. There are allusions to Excalibur. There are allusions to Avalon. It may be a jet fighting game, but it basically plays out as Arthur's legend, which is kind of cool. So um, so there are a lot of depictions of Arthurian legend. Not a lot of Grail. I think RuneScape is the only time the legend of the Grail pops back up. Huh? Uh most yeah. of the most of the games are set in like when Arthur was uniting Britain, you know, when he wanted to wipe the floor with the Saxons. There's a lot of games that look at that time period, but there's not really any games. Oh, Conquest of Camelot, the search for the Grail. Duh, that was really the only one in there that talked about the Grail. The rest of them really were more either the Knights of the Round Table or Arthur. Like when they do depict Arthur, they do it from the historical aspect of like you know him kicking ass across europe so there you go not a whole lot of holy grail but a whole lot of arthur being a badass king uh knocking down those castles but yeah that's that's arthurian legend rob not a whole lot of uh i don't know not a whole lot uh no i'd say that's quite a lot dave that's definitely a lot more in depth than any arthurian legend that i can recall so uh yeah definitely a lot well a whole lot of other episodes scattered in here you know we talked about westwood we talked about ea seattle we talked about sierra online these are all topics that we've covered before 
And if you would like to check out those episodes, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people do by going to memorycardlane.com? Well, Dave, a calendar of past and future episodes can be found on our website. You can go ahead and leave us some little notes about some games you've played. Maybe we can bring something up and bring back fond memories from people. You can read blurbs about Dave and me. You can find links to things such as our social media, where I can be found on several platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong. Hey, you know what I did the other day? What'd you do, Dave? I revived my Twitch account, not for streaming. I mean, I streamed. I I wanted, and now that I found out that I could do this, we're going to have to organize this. I wanted to see if we could do a Jackbox party night. And I got Jackbox streaming. I put my Twitch stream on, and then I opened it up so I could sit in the living room with people and do it. So I got it onto my living room tv uh, i actually streamed it through my xbox and made sure that everything worked uh and then i felt bad because i wasn't really interested in the play other people started to join me probably because you know they look through the jackbox category on on for streams to play with people and i had to be like sorry guys i'm not actually playing i'm testing this out and quit so you had people join you and just dipped huh i i, did, I mean i i was i was i it was eric's birthday eric's been with us before and we had plans to play. Oh, I did play another video game. I Eric and I played a way out. I completely forgot. That's how I spent like three or four hours on Sunday uh, or Saturday. Yeah, it would have been Saturday. Uh, we started playing a way out, which is that co-op like prison break game from a little ways back. It's been on our list forever. Every year for his birthday, we traditionally play a game together. And that's what we decided to start this year. So I played another video game I forgot about. So. Hmm. Look at you go, Dave. But anyways, got my Twitch stream up and I set up Jackbox. So we're going to have to organize like a Jackbox night where we could all play probably with our significant others for those of us that have them. Yeah, way to rub it in, Dave. Sorry. Well, I mean, that was the point of doing that. So Eric could include his now wife because he just got married. Fun stuff. Congratulations, married couple. If he listens to this, I know he listens, so. Anyways, David is wrong. There's that Twitch stream. Maybe you can catch me online and join us to play some Jackbox stuff because Jackbox is pretty fun. So, yeah. Each week, we will tell you a story relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game. It can be about a multiple games as it was this week. It can be about a console, technology, person. We kind of talked about a person today, did we not? uh kind of yeah yeah I mean, a not, not a real person but a person nonetheless i mean to be we, fair how many times do we talk about real people on this show dave very true we did actually talk about a real person because i talked about two writers that actually existed so there were two actual writers well yeah we talk uh, about real people every week the people who make these games crap you got me there <laughs> we talk about various topics we tell their story while doing so we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. One of the best parts about getting to do this week in and week out is as we pick a topic and we research about it, we learn things. I probably haven't had this in-depth of a uh, lesson on Arthurian legend in a long time. It was a nice refresher. Oops. It was a nice refresher. And also there were some video games in here that I had never, ever heard of. So I learned a bunch today. I'm sure Rob learned a bunch today. It's the best part about doing this podcast. As part of their commitment to learning and teaching and our recognition of the cycle that is learning and teaching, each week we like to go and talk about our takeaways. So Rob, what did you learn today? King Arthur wasn't real. <laughs> yeah, that's always a bummer, isn't it? It's the biggest bummer. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Um, there was a lot of uh, pretty much every single game that occurred is one that I was unfamiliar with. Um, I think that the thought of Blazing Dragons is amazing with all of those characters or uh, voice actors. Um, that alone is just incredible. But 
to be fair with the, I think the thing I learned most, I didn't know and I don't know that this is necessarily 100%, um but that King Arthur started from the history of the kings. It's not something that I had ever read or heard about. Um it's obviously I mostly knew him from movies and games and things, so I didn't know where that came from and to know that there's actually 12 books that tell the story. Well, not I mean, necessarily 12, just of Arthur, but... Well, um, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's like an encyclopedia. It's one book, 12 stories. They're called books, but yeah, I get what you're saying, so... Yeah, I guess I, I just didn't know that, so I think that's that's probably it for me, that that was, as far as we know, the route where Arthur was from, and it's kind of cool. So Yeah, yeah th- there's, a, there's a couple of, like, early, his- like, actual historical books that basically like he appears in but the problem is and why he's largely seen mostly as a a a fictional thing is like these books both date 300 years after he is supposedly supposed to have lived uh so they just don't jive with the the timelines don't jive and so even though they're actual medieval historical sources we treat them as that like that's why we cite it as inspiration um because like both of them see him as like a Romano British leader who fought against invading Saxons in like the fifth or sixth century. And he shows up again in like a ninth century Latin book where, you know, it actually lists 12 battles that he fought, uh, including the battle of Baden where he said to have single-handedly killed 960 men. I mean, that's kind of, you know, like, badass but what's the likeliness that that's true you know what i mean Um, i don't know dave there were some pretty (laughs) badasses in the old days so yeah so you have all of these these books these actual historical books that kind of allude to arthur but realistically like their timelines don't jive their stories are outlandish so he is just largely seen as a as a fictional figure that is just more of a an inspiration more of an inspiration from some of the actual witch McCallits. Cause I mean, legitimately Arthurian legend is English folklore. It's got a little bit of wealth mythology in it. It's basically literary invention. Like it's just not, it's not, I don't know. It's just not. Um, so in general, no, they say Arthur is not, uh, Arthur is a work of fiction. And honestly, that's more believable. So, so that's your takeaway, Dave. Um, what is my takeaway? I honestly had forgot about some of the, the, like, his history, like, Uther Pendragon dying after being poisoned by Saxons. It was fun to get to, like, go back and read, you know, and I summarized it. I I read the crib notes and then summarized the crib notes, too. Uh, So it was fun to kind of go back and look at that, the History of Britain book and, um, and read some of these actual stories. Because realistically, nowadays... All I think about King Arthur is the Knights of the Round Table and the quest for the Holy Grail. Like, that's really all I think about. But in all reality, um, Arthur, his father, Uther Pendragon, like, there's a whole story there for it. And it was it was fun to dive back into all of that. So that's my takeaway. So it is quite the story if you don't know it, Uh, because, yeah, like I said, that was more knowledge of the Arthurian legend than I had ever known. I knew of the Round Table and the Holy Grail, but his father and all that fun stuff yeah that's new to me too so that's kind of on in line with mine that those books did tell the history of england or britain whatever you wanna and that'll do it that's king arthur we did it we did that we did dave well rob it's about that time so before i take it out of here what would you like to add to today's episode well dave as always i do want to take a quick moment to say thank you to everyone for listening It means the world to us, and we really hope that you enjoy what you hear. And if not, well, sorry we can't please everyone. That's right. Well, Rob, next week, we're going to learn all about Breakout. You ever heard of Breakout? Uh, It's the breakdancing game, right? Sure, we'll go with that. It's an arcade video game that was released by Atari in May of 1976. As part of its story, we're going to learn all about its conception on its way to becoming one of the top-grossing arcade cabinets for two consecutive years during the golden age of arcades. So stick around and join us as we break through the brick ceiling 
on yet another trip down memory card lane to the thing. Doobie 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 doobie